It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast. The ACC podcast is back. It has been quite some time since we did a Hoist the Colors podcast. As of course, if you're unfamiliar, we've been doing the radio show on 94.3 The Game here in town locally. Also, that is live stream every day, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. So if you if you are subscribed to the Hoist the Colors podcast and you're like, where are all the podcasts breaking down? What's going on with ECU football? We've been doing that a lot on the 94.3 The Game channels, which, by the way, you can subscribe to as well. If you kind of search uh, Hoist the Colors and do the one with the 94.3 The Game logo and, and make sure you're subscribed to that on podcasts if you don't listen live. So just want to make that announcement for those who have been wondering where we've been. Uh, and uh, this is kind of a an interesting one because it's a bye week, but we also wanted to get our good friend Sean Nova Pirate from the Hoist the Colors message boards on the show if you do have a question on facebook or youtube drop it there we'll get to it throughout uh, our show today but sean i wanted to get you on yeah i haven't had you on the radio show yet and we're going to get you on at some point but you do a great job with your background in football you know we've had you on this podcast a lot uh talking x's and o's and just personnel and uh, philosophy so first off welcome back how are you doing and uh sorry it's not under i guess a little better circumstances after the one and four start yeah i know i'm, I'm doing great steven it, it's good to see you and, and thanks for having me back on I, I wish we were four and one that would make the conversation a little more fun no doubt well we had people that were uh obviously you know for the casual listeners if they're not on the message board you know yourself uh pirate backer Brett Hickman, uh, I think the three of you guys, along with others as well, do just a tremendous job of adding insight and value to our board with, uh, you know, football knowledge. And people really respect your opinion. And we had some people calling for, hey, where's, uh, you know, where's the Nova Pirate podcast? Where is, uh, where's Pirate Backer? We tried to get Pirate Backer on today, Jason, and uh, he was unable to make it due to a conflict, but we'll have him on shortly. Brett obviously is doing some assistant coaching at Anderson University in South Carolina, so he's a little tied up with that. But uh, glad we could get you on today, man, and just a lot to talk about. I guess first off, Sean, just what do you make of the one and four starts? And you know, we'll start with kind of your general takes, and then we'll dive into some of the specifics. Yeah, again, um, thanks for having me, Stephen. So I um, I think the last time you and I talked was at the after the spring game. And I felt pretty good about what I was seeing in the spring game. In, in my notes, um, I felt like each of the positions had people that certainly were not going to be at the same par as the Keaton Mitchells that we had lost. But I thought we would have people that would be able to step in. 
Um, I, I think I've been a little surprised at the lack of production of some of the, the new people. So I think that's one of the first surprises is, is the lack of production. I think the second thing is um, everything in football, particularly at this level, begins with the quarterback. If you don't have a quarterback that um, can um, push the ball like a like a point guard, if you don't have a quarterback that can really uh, distribute the ball in a way that can score points, it doesn't really matter what the team rest of the team looks like. So um, we're struggling with player development. We're struggling with quarterback development. And I don't blame uh, Alex or Mason. Uh, it's they're doing the best they can. It's not their responsibility to be anybody else but themselves. And I think the third thing that I'm saying, and I and I believe that this has plagued us since the um, the Mike Houston era, who I, I think is a tremendous coach, is the lack of creativity in the play calling, but also the progression of the play calling. I think we continue to see um, uh, plays that are called at peculiar times and plays that don't seem to match the rhythm of the game. So those are my three things right now. Uh, lack of uh, player personnel development, the lack of a quarter, a viable quarterback, not that Flynn and Mason are not viable, but someone who can really go out and, and make a difference right now. Both of these players are just sort of getting started at this, at this level in terms of starting. And then just, I think we continue to have calls that are questionable at certain times in the game. And that's all it takes, Stephen. All it takes is two or three bad calls sprinkled throughout. You, you could have a really good game, a call a really good game for 95% of it, but then have three or four calls that really just destroy the flow of the game. So, I, I mean, there are other things, but I, I would say for me, those are the three things that are standing out. And we saw, I mean, two or three of those calls, and, and you know, we'll get into a little bit. Donnie Kirkpatrick kind of admitted that uh, which, by the way, uh, major kudos to him for like saying, "Look, uh, if I could have it back, I would. I would redo it." I think fans respect hearing that sort of stuff instead of you know saying that we could have executed better, which is definitely true in a lot of cases. But I think when when the coaches step up and say that, it it really speaks to the fans as well. And he said, you know, basically the screen screenplay, they just didn't practice enough. And you, it was interesting, Sean, because you kind of called that before it happened. You said based on kind of how it looked and, you know, just the fact we, we don't see it called a lot during games. You, you kind of felt it was a play they probably haven't worked on enough, and especially in that situation, first and 20, kind of a tough situation. Then he said the fourth and goal uh, sneak with Alex Flynn. If he could have it back, he would have it back, maybe do different personnel. You know, that one's kind of a double-edged sword because you're trying to go fast, Sean, as far as, like, trying to catch the defense off. But I think everybody knew it was coming, and it just – it just wasn't going to work. I don't, I, you know, you, you could say maybe a clean snap, he gets in, but they were going to have to push him in. There was no real push up front, uh, not a lot at least. So those two calls definitely were costly the last game. Yeah, and I appreciate him taking responsibility for that. And and, and for coaches, that's really hard to do um, because um, when I was sort of drafted into the coaching world, the little school that I teach, um, I – Notice three things really quickly among the the, the coaching world. One, um, you won't find a more dedicated group of of, of people for their craft. Two, um, for the most part, most of them really care about their kids. 
And three, they are some of the most stubborn people I've ever met. And I think part of that stubbornness means it's really hard to to take responsibility. So I, I appreciate him taking responsibility for that. It's hard. It's hard to do. We talked about, or you talked about the lack of player development. I've talked about it a lot on my show. And man, it's just crazy. You look, and I'm not saying pro football focus is like the end all be all, but you look at the raw numbers. Obviously, they're grading every player, you know, from their vantage point on whether or not kind of the player wins at their job or executes their assignment. So through five games, Sean, East Carolina as a team ranks dead last in receiving grade, which the drops have a lot to do with that and dead last in, in pass protection. And that's out of 133 FBS teams. And you just, you know, I, I think a lot of that is either recruiting misses at this point or not developing receivers and offensive linemen. You know, why do you think that is at this point that, that those two phases are struggling this much? And certainly the quarterback has some to do with both of those, probably whether it be making checks or, making better throws, but also the quarterbacks aren't getting any help at all either. So it's just that, you know, that's kind of the root of your problems, in my opinion. If you can't block and protect and you can't catch the ball, that, that causes a lot of issues. Yeah, and if you don't have the experience, right, and that's uh, on top of all the other things that you mentioned, Stephen, if, if, if a player doesn't have experience and they're going out and trying to produce at a high level, it's very difficult to execute when it's one of your first time, sort of first season starting, or you are now the person who is being asked to shoulder the responsibility of the of the receiver of the top receiver experience has a lot to do with this and one of the things i love about football is the psychology of the game and probably golf has more psychology than football but i think the thing about football is you've got 22 people that you have to make sure are all rowing in the same direction and a big part of that is once the game begins not overthinking and when you're new into the game at this level, you're on television, you're trying to follow a very successful season with a bowl season, and then you're put out on the stage. I, what I'm seeing happening is a lot of overthinking. And having two quarterbacks has not made this easy as well. And I suspect what's happening, Stephen, in part. So let's think about this. We it looks like we've missed on quarterback one, right? Uh, and again, uh, hats off to Mason, who is still on the sidelines cheering people on. Um, but it, he has he is not starting now. So the all through spring, all through summer ball, fall ball, um, you had a different quarterback receiving the majority of the reps. So everyone was learning how to play with his system and his sort of gifts and talents. We bring in another quarterback in Flynn, who I, I think will be very good eventually. That's my, my hope and my sense. But now we're, we're basically building this as we're going along. So we've missed out on all, Flynn has missed out on all that experience and the receivers are now having to get used to both his throwing style, but also the timing of the uh, of sort of his passes. Um, so that's part of what's going on. And, and I think the other piece and is just it's player development. It's just player development. I like that point because, I mean, I, I was, you know, and I've been out of practice, obviously. And we don't see all of practice, but I was out there. In past years, when Mason was the number two, and so when Holton would take time off, Mason was getting the number one reps. And this offseason, 
look, I mean, the point, the reality is they wanted Mason Garcia to be the guy, and, and I get it. You know, he he looks the part, and I'm not saying there's not a, a situation where he gets another shot and eventually becomes that guy, but right now he he's not there, which is why, as you say, Alex Flynn is starting. And, I mean, he got all the number one reps that I saw throughout spring ball, throughout the summer, throughout preseason camp. So it's just interesting you make that point because it makes a lot of sense. You know, I think a lot of people expected him to be the guy, and I think there's a, a fair argument, too. We, we really – you know, we saw him against Michigan, top five team. We saw him against Marshall, which is a top ten defensive team right now. He hasn't really gotten a shot to be the guy again. So maybe they go back to that at some point. Where do you fall on the – the argument, and I think Flynn's done a, a good job. I think Mason, you know, to this point has not run the offense as well as as Flynn, uh, just watching it. But you know, there's there's an argument from some people saying, hey, if this season, you know, goes off the rails, you can't make a bowl. You know, don't you have to at least by the end of the year know if Mason can be the guy, or even if Flynn can be the guy because he's got another year of eligibility left as well. You got to at least find out if you've got the quarterback of the future or you have to go to the portal and try to get somebody. So here's my thought on that, Stephen. Um, this coaching staff has seen Mason um, for three, four years now. Yeah, and fourth year. So they've seen him in multiple spring games. They've seen him when he has had the opportunity to be the number one sort of rep person in the game, in, in practice. And uh, by the second game, he's no longer starting. I, I think they know everything that they need to know about whether or not he's going to be QB1. That's my sense. I don't think you pull someone with that much data that quickly if you and your gut have decided that this is not the direction that you want to go in. That's just my sense of it. Um and so I, I think you play Flynn for the rest of the season, because if you don't, it, it, I think the reason they've pulled him is what they have seen and what I've seen on film. And so one thing I get really frustrated with is when people say that, you know, Mason has a Mason's not smart because he can't get the ball. He, that has nothing to do with intelligence. It has to do with, you know, processing things that are moving quickly. That That's just some people's brain work better. Sometimes they don't. And I don't know if that's processor. the issue. <laughs> yeah, I'm not either. I don't know, but you know, I mean, it it is a very the reason that quarterbacks make all the money is because it is an extremely difficult position to play, and if you play it well, your team is going to do well. So, to me, if you look at even if you go back to to Mason's high school tape, what you'll see is um, sort of simple uh, routes that were part of their offense, and that's not on Mason, but he comes from a system where it looks like they flooded sort of the play side, they gave him lots of options to throw from, and he, and he would make the throws. I think if you look at Flynn's high school tape and what you've seen in the game, he's making the progressions. He's missing out on some of the, the passes right now. But I think Flynn knows the offense really well, and I think you stick with him because if you don't stick with him, at some point you've got to give a quarterback experience or we're going to be another year in this cycle. So if it was me... I'd, I'd just keep in for the rest of the season. It'll be interesting to see what they do. And, you know, when I was out of practice this week, Flynn was still working with the one. So I would uh, assume he will get the start against SMU. I still think they need to use Mason better, though. Like, I mean, you know, we saw Rice utilize its quarterback, a true freshman, 
in different spots. Like, I just don't want to see Mason sit over there and, and not be utilized. Uh, do you have a take on that as well? No, I agree. I mean, he's too good of an athlete. He's been faithful to the program. I mean, I, I think they're doing him a, a real disservice right now. I, I, I really do. And, um, and, and look, it's, it's a tough business, right? It's a money business and no coach gets it all right, but he is, he's too talented as an athlete to sort of just waste. So, uh, I love the idea of put it, giving him packages, or even if you're going to bring him in as an H back, something that utilizes who he, you know, his skill. He's too great of an athlete to just be sitting there. That, that's that's my sense of it. I agree. Uh, Scott's got a question. He says, between the staff, uh, between the recruiting misses and personnel issues, should we be concerned about the staff's ability to evaluate talent? Um, you know, you look at the defensive side of the ball right now, Sean, I feel like the defense is very talented. I mean, there are certain things I would like to see better, like pass rushers, but in my opinion, they have recruited those guys now. You know, they wanted to shore up the run defense first. Unfortunately, a lot of the, the long, lengthy guys are more young right now, so we're not seeing them as much as far as, like, more traditional pass rushers. But I like what they've done on the defensive side of the ball. I like what they've done at running back. I think the thing that has hurt them offensively is they, they have had a decent amount of staff turnover offensively as well over time. And I think that's hurt not only the recruiting, but also kind of the, you know, the development we've talked about. So, you know, I'm not super worried, but I am a little concerned over, uh, you know, specifically offensive line recruiting and receiver recruiting. Those are the two areas. And obviously the quarterback, I mean, we, we touched on that. It's an inexact science, but if you don't have a quarterback, you know, we see it in the NFL all the time. Uh, Sean, how much those guys get drafted early don't pan out, and uh, it can be an inexact science. But it, you know, I would say it, it is somewhat of a valid concern, especially offensively. Just what's your take on that? Yeah, no, I agree. So the average tenure now of a head coach uh, at the FBS level for a head coach is four years. Uh, so, and there's a reason uh, because of the pressure and because of I think also because of player development. Uh, once a coach gets their recruits in after three years or so you're hoping for a great, a great fourth year. And, and often coaches are also looking to, to move up. Right. And I don't know what, if that was part of coach Houston's sort of thought process, what, whatever the reason this is his fifth year. And I don't think a lot of head coaches are experts at uh, personnel development. And so I think what we're seeing here is, um, uh, a team and a staff that has really struggled at this fifth year to have the pieces that are needed. I mean, we've watched the last two or three years where we would get a lead and a lot of us were sort of shaking our head and saying, let's, let's put in Mason, let's put in some backup so we can get some practice in. But for whatever reason, that's not been the philosophy of the staff and, you know, it's their team. So that's the choice that they've made. But in this fifth year, what we're finding is, is that a lot of these players are still really, really green and are being asked to come in and play at a very high level. And they're just not, they're just not ready to perform in the way that, that they need to, or the staff wants them, I'm sure, to sort of get to a bowl game. And the other thing too is, you look at that issue. Like to me, I, I've, in my opinion, I think the defensive staff has done a better job the last few years of rotating guys. And some of that does come with defenses easier to rotate versus offense. Like 
you're going to rotate a lot of defensive linemen versus offensive linemen. You know, you don't see a ton of rotation in the secondary at some spots, but I feel like this this staff has done that. So I feel like the defensive staff has just done a better job, Sean, of getting those guys prepared, whether it's just wanting to keep guys fresh or give them action. And, you know, offensively, we just – we never saw rotation at receiver uh, the last number of years. And I get it. You got C.J., Isaiah Winstead, Blake Pearl, Tyler Sneed. Like, you don't want to take them out of the game. But now we're seeing kind of the – you know, the unfortunate side of that, too, and the quarterback situation. If you don't give guys game experience, it's just – it's tough to to grow up uh, under fire. And it's just uh, – I don't know. It creates a lot of issues uh, with that right now. So, good points there. Um, the uh, – you know, I still feel like this team is not as far away as some people, you know, make it out to be. Like, there's a lot of talk, oh, Mike Houston's, you know, killed the team or whatever – as far as like the program, like I still feel like the foundations there defensively, you got a good team. Special teams has improved. You know, that was an issue last year, Sean. Um, it's just, if you can figure out the offense well enough to make it average, you could be a pretty good team. I just don't know if that's going to happen this year. Like, do you feel like there's still a way to, to fix it at this point? Yeah, I know. I agree. I mean, we're not losing seven. I mean, we're except to Michigan. That was a blowout, right. but I don't think anybody was surprised. But teams that are sort of our peers, we're playing pretty well with them until we get to the fourth quarter. And that's not unusual for people who haven't played the game a lot, uh, who haven't gotten a lot of reps. I, I think my sense is, my hope is, is that the more these players get uh, real life experience in the game, the more wraps they get, we will see some improvement. Um, but the, the, the position that has to improve the quickest, uh, it, regardless of what team you're on is the quarterback. Like that is going to have to be for Flynn. Like he is going to have to really, uh, accelerate his learning in in this week and a half, because, um, if he's not making the throws, if he's not consistent, and I, the receivers have to catch the ball, of course. But if if Flynn is not able to make the throws, none of it really matters. And I think the other piece that we haven't had a chance to talk about much either is sort of the RPO game. And like that's a piece, too, that I think we've got to get better. So in theory, right, the more you practice, the more, uh, you know, you have a chance to get better. The, the challenge, though, right, is the other teams are getting better, too, right? Um, and the other piece that goes along with this is, are you putting people in the right play set, the right personnel set to be successful? Because that's the other part I think that we're struggling in. I'm not convinced always that we are making as a staff the best decisions in terms of where we're putting people and what plays we're calling. The game is all about playmakers, right? Are we putting the right people or giving them the chance to be playmakers? So it, it, there's a, a lot that goes hand in hand there. No doubt. I mean, I, I, I'm i not a football expert. Uh, obviously, obviously, I've learned a lot from the game, just covering it. And I wrote kind of in an article, five things I would do to, to help fix the offense. Not that I have all the answers. I definitely do not. I mean, Don Kirkpatrick knows a lot more about football than I do, but I just like I, I can't find it acceptable at this point, Sean, that Javius Bond, freshman or not, is only getting, you know, seven to ten touches per game, or he only played twenty-four of eighty-eight offensive snaps. And I love Rajay. I also wrote in the article we need more two-back personnel because if 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 your best position is running back, to me, you got to find a way to get more guys on the field 
at your best position. You got to get talent on the field. I mean, your slot receivers aren't producing a lot right now. Find a way to get Javius in the slot. I mean, it's just you got to get the ball to your playmakers in a different way. I know they were trying to throw the screen to them, but if you're going to throw the screen, make sure you practice it enough. I mean, it's just like we get, you know, if if you've got limited playmakers, you got to at least find a way to get them the ball. I still want to see Shane Calhoun throwing the ball more. I know he got more targets last game. I know he dropped a pass, but he still, to me, is a big part of this offense. So, I don't know. What would you like to see offensively coming out of the bye to, to maybe help correct some of the issues ECU's having right now? So, I think we're beginning to see who some of the playmakers are, right? Um, I, I, I'm never sure if I'm pronouncing his name right. Sal or – So, I think it's Chase Sowell. Okay, Sowell. Sowell, yep. So, he is developing as a playmaker. but he, And Bond is so – and then Calhoun – and I think you've got to find the, so those are three playmakers. And then Harris is a very good sort of change up, or if you want to run the power game, he's a great player for that. The way that you win in football is you have more big plays than your opponent. And the way that you have big plays is you find playmakers. So I, the staff has really got to go to work to make sure that these playmakers are getting the ball and I went and looked at some stats today um, out of about 160, 170 players for total yards. We have one player listed uh, out of the top sort of 160, 70 that's bond. So we have a freshman who is sort of the leading all purpose person on the team. And um, so you, it's a steady diet of him and a steady diet of the other two that we talked about. And then you keep feeding them the ball. You keep, I mean, that is rule number one. If you have limited talent or max talent, you feed your playmakers and you design everything around those playmakers to get into space and to score. It's all about the big play. And that's where we're struggling. Um, We're struggling getting it to our playmakers. Um, Now that some are sort of emerging uh, we've got to continue to feed them the ball and let them do what they do well. Um, and so that's that would be my sort of first formula. Identify the playmakers, which we've divided, identified three, give them the ball. Uh, Tony Hicks says Shane Calhoun needs to get in the mix more, in my opinion, too. Good points on Bond. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, too, is like you can say teams know maybe to take away Bond already. But, I, you know, I don't know. I mean – I feel like if you if you identify and you truly establish, hey, these are our go-to guys, Bond, Calhoun, uh, and so well, and then you go out there and you implement it in a game, then from then you know then forward, obviously the defense they know what you're trying to do, but they're going to have to bracket so well, they're going to have to you know shadow Javius Bond wherever he goes, and then if you truly identify that as your identity in many ways, then that opens up stuff for other pieces of your offense. So I don't think it's the worst thing in the world if ECU just starts feeding Bond is so well, because then at that point it should open up things for other guys. Absolutely. And that's how teams that have talent do it. And and what makes a playmaker? A playmaker is someone who regardless is guarding them, regardless of what the situation is, they make plays. And so that's why you keep feeding them. So I, that's, that's kind of football one one oh one. And so I'm hoping that we see a well, we need to actually see a lot more of that if we're gonna win enough games to get to a bowl game. I shouldn't even say bowl game, but you know, in a hopeful world, but those three are the key. Uh Sean says you can't feed them the ball if the O line can't open run again, run lanes which is 
I mean, fair, but you can also, you know, you can scheme stuff up to a certain degree. And we talked about the screen. The screen, you know, it was there if it would have been executed a little more properly, which goes back to making sure you're you're practicing enough. You know, Donnie mentioned, um, you know, Javius got out too quickly, you know, which led to the, the linebacker and man coverage, uh, you know, following him and getting the pick before he could get blocked. Well, those are things you got to make sure you do in practice before you do it in a game. So whether it's just executing, coaching it up better, uh, there are ways to scheme stuff up and scheme around your offensive line to a degree. I mean, I'm not saying you can avoid it at all times, Sean, but we've seen bad ECU offensive lines still have pretty good offenses uh, at ECU. Yeah, go back and rewatch part of the app game. Uh, they have made a living on outside and, and wide zone. They don't pretend that they're anything else, and they still manage to do really well. So and what they've done with that offensive line is they practice and practice the outside zone. and But – the other thing that they do, though, is they put the right personnel in. And that's a big part of it as well. If you put the right personnel in running the ball and you make sure that you are also putting the line in a position where they can succeed, you're going to do well. If you put the line in a constant uh, sort of position on an inside zone or power where the line is having to line up one against one, um, we're not going to do well right now because we have a lot of young guys so I think we've also have to learn to work within the talent that we have. So scheme does matter with this. And I think it would help a lot if we really sort of matched our personnel uh, a little bit better and called um, sort of a, a play set that really took advantage of, of, of our strengths and weaknesses. Tony Hicks says Jalen Johnson needs to break out too. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that, I, you know, we expected better things from. And two, I, I feel like he's a guy, Sean, that could benefit along with Josiah Hatfield. Like, to me, I don't know if those guys are going to be true, like, number one, like, volume target receivers. But if you do establish Javius Bond so well, whatever, like, to me, those are the guys that are going to – when when they have less attention on them, they're going to exceed. I mean, we, we've seen Josiah Hatfield make big plays – you know, I don't think he's going to be a guy that's getting 10, 15 targets a game, but those guys can definitely still help you. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, it's just, you know, offense is interesting, Sean, because, like, it can – I'm not saying it's going to be fixed overnight, but if you can get one or two things clicking, all of a sudden it can open up pretty quickly. And it just seems like ECU's been able to get nothing clicking, though, is the problem. You know, pilots will say if there's a problem in the air with the plane or if there's a crash, they'll they'll say it's a series of cascading events, right? It's never just one thing. It's a series of connecting things. And if you look what's going on with the offense right now, it's a series of cascading events. It's, it's lack of uh, players with experience. It's, I think, often lack of sort of understanding maybe some of the strengths of the playmakers it's calling plays at the wrong time it's rushing in plays like we saw at the goal line so rarely is it one thing and often what happens when the system is not working well everything within that system is is affected so one of the things i hope that happens with the staff this week also is to take a step back and to say okay, what are we doing with our play sequence here? What are we doing with our play call sequence on the offense? And if we're getting in a position where we want to rush something, is that the best decision right now, given that we have a young group? Is it better just to take a timeout, 
regroup and try to reset this. So it's with offense, it's a it's a dance and it doesn't take much to sort of throw one piece off. I have heard just from talking with people around the program, uh, in the program, this has not been a bye week for the faint of heart. I, I think the coaches have worked extremely hard. I mean, you know, not that they ever get any downtime, Sean, but like, you know, there's a there's a real sense of urgency right now. I mean, there's a sense of urgency on game week as you're getting ready for opponent, but I think the sense of urgency is, man, we've got to figure out what we do do well now and then figure that out and, and make it better. So, you know, I, I know the coaches are, you know, they're reviewing every aspect of things. Uh, we talked to Mike Houston for his coaches. So he said he had already watched the Rice game six times at that point from every angle. So like, you know, I'm not trying to make excuses for him or make, you know, people pity for him. These coaches make a lot of money, but like, you know, they care a lot. They're working hard at it. Um, and we'll see what, what results come out of the bye week. I think it just gets frustrating if, if they come out against SMU and are doing the same things we've seen. And they're not going to tell us the changes, but I think there will be at least some changes coming out of the bye. So we'll just see, I guess, what they are um, yeah, I, when the I, time I, comes. I never doubt that they're not working hard. I think for fans, what's frustrating at times is – asking the question, okay, are they working as sort of smart as they need to, right? And it's not that they don't know football. I mean, both of these guys forget more about football in a day than most people will ever know. But being able to really execute that in the game is also an, another sort of, uh, it's, that's a skill set as well, uh, is getting the right play at the right time. And, 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 and let's be honest, we've struggled with that. We've struggled with that over the last four or five years. Scott says I would pity anyone who had to watch that game six times. I, yeah, I went back and watched some key plays once, and that was painful enough. Uh, so yeah, that's tough. Um, I don't want to, you know, make it sound like it's all doom and gloom here, Sean. So like, what have you seen in the first five games that gives you some hope or, or things that you really have liked? Yeah, I think our defense is getting better. We're ranked 40th right now, and I. I don't think that that is an undeserved ranking. Um, we're still making some mistakes at the, we're making big mistakes at the wrong time. And I think the more these kids get real world experience, the better they're going to give up, get at not giving up the the big play. So I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged by the, the, the depth at defensive line. I still think we need to, to get a better sort of understanding of who and how we're going to blitz, but I feel pretty good about where we are defensively. Offensively, uh, we are beginning to see some playmakers develop. And I think between Calhoun and um, Sowell and Bond, we've got three people that can can take the ball and do something with it. Um, and I think we have a, a group of coaches that want, want to win. So, um, you know, I... I think we can continue to be competitive for most of the game. The question is, and this is always the big question, when does that team make the jump between being able to, to win and score points um, and being able to just move the ball between the 20s? And, and right now, we're not very good at, at either. Um, so we've, we've got to move the ball better between the 20s and score. But in theory... Stephen, in theory, the more repetition and coaches love repetition, the the better we should look on the field. So that that's my hope. If you're asking me to be optimistic, 
There you go. Hey, still, still more than half the season left, so there's still time to turn around or for, I guess, things to technically get worse. As you say, other teams, you know, SMU, they have a bye week too, so they're working on things to improve upon too. So it's it's not going to get any easier. Speaking of that, Tony, I don't know if you can if you want to answer this or not. He says, looking at the next seven games, do you have a win-loss prediction? Sorry to put you on the spot. Do you need me to read the games for yeah, you? Yeah, read the games. Would you? Would you yeah, yeah. Really so I got left? the uh, I got the schedule. Do you want me to go one by one or just like read them all out? And you uh, just up? you can go really quickly. Okay, SMU at home, Charlotte at home, at UTSA, Tulane at home, at FAU, at Navy, and then Tulsa at home. So. Honestly, I think that they're, if I'm being completely honest, based on where we are right now, um, I would expect for us to to beat Charlotte. Um, I think every other game is either a toss-up or we're probably going to be underdogs. That, yeah. That's my sense of it. I think that's fair. I mean, SMU is going to be favored. UTSA, Tulane, definitely going to be favored. FAU, and, you know, if FAU and Navy were at home, maybe the opposite, you know, maybe – Depending on what happens at Tulsa, a lot of time between now and November 25th, but uh, that could be a game as well that ECU could be favored. But really, Charlotte is the one that you feel good about at this point. So a lot of ball left there. We'll see. Uh, Sean also wants to know, do you guys like the black uniforms they're going to bring out for next Thursday? I think they look awesome. Uh, What about you? Yeah, I like them. I like them. Yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, uniforms. And uh, as we every time we talk about uniforms – we get uh, all the comments on social media about how the team isn't practicing. They're just dressing up for a fashion show. <laughs> but uh, who knows? I mean, in, in, during the rough era, they won in black, and then they wore it like every game and never lost. So maybe we can find something to hold on to, Sean. Didn't help the commanders last night. It definitely did not. That was a uh, that was an ugly one, man. It was. Sorry for all the commander fans out there. We'll uh, – as we get close to, to wrapping up, Sean, I know you had written down some other notes, some other stats you maybe uh, wanted to focus on. Yeah, so anything you want to hit on? It just just really quickly, I, I am sometimes in um, sort of email or just on the board and asked about sort of recruiting and, you know, what, what does our recruiting in terms of personnel look like versus others? I mean, if you look at our recruiting rankings and if you're to sort of follow the, the rankings of a lot of these um, ranking services and you don't sometimes you have to take them with a grain of salt but we are pretty much in the middle the thick of things with our peer teams at Marshall we're we're all so you know some years we beat them out and the other years they'll tie us I think the last three years or four years we've beaten both app and Marshall um, but it's they're not far behind so I, I think in terms of players. I think we have good players. I I think what we're seeing are players who don't have experience. Um, And I think, too, we've got to continue to do a better job of targeting the types of players that we need to replace. And the last thing I'll say about the recruiting piece, if you don't have a quarterback, if the quarterback is not the central focus of who you're recruiting, the rest of it falls apart. And this is where I really believe we've missed the mark here. If, if I'm being as honest as I can, we've dropped the ball on that. And it, had we had a quarterback that um, had a skill set um, that would allow us to sort of make the plays that we need to make now, 
we would not be sitting at this record. I, I think this would be a year that would be difficult, but without a viable court, and this is not a criticism of Flynn or Mason, they are who they are, they're doing the best they can, but I can't stress enough how much we really dropped the ball uh, on on that. And and the last thing I'll, I'll say to you, Stephen, if you look at our record, I think I was sharing this with you, and this is pretty sobering, uh, since Skip Holtz left, and somebody can check the math on that, I was never very good at math in, in high school or college, we're 73 and 84. Um, so we have lost more games since Skip left than we have won. I, I think the program is at a crossroads, and I think that word can be overused, but it feels like we have been reacting since Skip Holtz left. I think Ruff and Terry Terry knew exactly what he was doing with Ruff. I think since then, what we have struggled with is to really have a vision of where we want ECU football to go. And now with NIL coming into the picture, if I was the AD, I would spend the next year calling all of the sort of shareholders together at ECU, fans, donors, and I would just spend a year visioning what do we want ECU football to look like? Because we cannot continue to piecemeal without a vision. Um, and if we want ECU football to be what it really wants, we've got to be clear on what we want and what it's going to take to get there. The, 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 the years of sort of hoping that things work out and sort of reacting to fires, we're going to continue to have this record, I believe, until we really begin to have, to envision where where we want to go. So that, anyway, that's my sense. A lot of great points there, man. I mean, if we had somebody comment during the show uh, at the end of the year, EC needs to go out and get a, a transfer portal quarterback. Well, to do that, to get one that's proven, you know, you mentioned kind of, if you have the if you have the quarterback as uh, even the dog wants the quarterback so look i mean <laughs> everybody wants the quarterback uh but not if you have the quarterback it makes you know you can have a good team without a star quarterback but everything around him has to be great if you have the star quarterback he can make a lot of people around him look like stars so i mean i think we're seeing that now but if you want that guy from the portal you got to have money i mean that's just the reality you got to have the nio money so I love ECU fans. ECU fans are great, but I don't think enough of them understand it right now. If you want to go out and you want to buy a quarterback, you want to buy a receiver, you better have a couple hundred thousand dollars at least just to go buy those guys and then pay your, your team to retain them. So I do think we are at a crossroads. I think we are at a crossroads from the standpoint of our fans have to understand what it takes to, to now compete for championships. So I think maybe, maybe that, you know, that could be a, a you know, a, a sobering positive of this struggle right now is the reality that we do need to make some changes, whether it be administratively coaching as a fan base to keep ECU football moving in, you know, the direction it should be moving. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for our show. Sean, I appreciate the time, man. It was good to be back on the, uh, the hoist the colors podcast. It's been a, been a long time since we did the podcast version, uh, we do have a late question here from Scott. I don't know if we, I guess we can answer real quick. If every game you swapped our quarterback with our opponent quarterback, what would ECU's record be? That's, I mean, I don't think they're beating Michigan because Michigan's Michigan, even with JJ McCarthy. Uh, so I would go that's a loss, but a Marshall game. I don't think the guy was a rock star, but I think he, he did enough. That's probably a win at Agreed. state. 
probably a win. Agree. Close, um, close, closer at least. Yeah, definitely closer. Gardner Webb, that was the most recent game. I mean, I think you're beating Gardner Webb either way, so probably a win. And then Rice. Rice. Yes, I, I believe so. I, yes. I believe so. And I don't think it has to be a superstar, right? I think it's got to be somebody who's who's proven. And But, yeah, and that's a great question. Um, but I, I think that's the difference, um, it, especially in a team that's struggling. Great question. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, experienced quarterback makes everybody look a lot more experienced. So, yeah, tough situation. But, hey, maybe the second half of the year, Alex Flynn, Mason Garcia can become that that answer. I mean, that's what we're hoping for. Um, We'll just see how it plays out. But, Sean, thanks again for the time today, man. It's uh, a lot of great insight, a lot of great points. So we'll do this again uh, when we can. We'll get you on the radio show soon. Okay. All right. Thanks, Stephen. All right. He's Sean Nova Pirate, and uh, I'm Stephen Igo. We will be back. On Monday with the Hoisted Colors radio show, we'll do the HTC podcast again here shortly when we can as well. Thank you guys again. If you if you haven't already, subscribe to the uh, Hoisted Colors ninety four three the game radio page. That way you get all of our daily shows throughout the week there. But we will talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found.